Let's pray for a minute before we open God's Word. Father, thank you so much for revealing yourself to us, for giving us your Word and giving us the Holy Spirit by which we can understand it and apply it to our hearts and lives. And that's what we're praying for this morning, that you would take your truth and by your Spirit challenge your people. For everyone that is here this morning on this fairground, for everyone who is at home watching, for myself even, that you would open our eyes to see your greatness, to see your power, to see the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of all who would believe. Use this time, this morning, Father. Use this time to shape us and to change us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, once again, glad to have you here this morning. I hope you guys appreciate this. I am always thinking of you. You know, all week it was 95 degrees. And I thought, you know, it's going to be torture for people to sit in their cars and bake. And so, you're welcome. How's 55 and a 25 mile an hour wind? Everybody like that? All right. And see, the beauty is as well, I'm, I'm thinking like the main boy that I am, the beauty is we don't have any black flies, right? I mean, that's good. That's a good thing. So I, I hope you guys appreciate what I do for you because, you know, I was just thinking of you guys. <laughs> I'm glad that Tara was thinking about me. I don't know if you can see this or not, but there's about 25 clothespins holding my notes to this uh, podium here this morning to combat the wind. Actually, Steve was praying that I wouldn't have enough clothespins and that half my notes would blow away because he thought if I only had half my notes, I'd only be speaking for half the amount of time. He doesn't realize that I could keep talking forever. It doesn't matter how many notes I've got here. So, uh, But we're glad that you're here. And this is week three. This is week three of our new series. We want you guys to understand the whole story. The whole story of the Bible. We spent the first couple of weeks looking here, and what we want you to see is that the Bible is God's story. It's one cohesive story that God has put together and given to us in this book that's made up of 66 individual books. So we want you to see that it's God's story. We also want you to see that God is going to reveal his character to us so that we can know him, so that we can understand who he is. And we're also going to see Jesus Christ. Not just in the New Testament, not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Paul's books, or John's books where, where they talk about Jesus, but we're going to see Jesus in the Old Testament. We're going to see Jesus this morning in the book of Leviticus. Two weeks ago, Pastor Tim started us off with the book of Genesis, and we saw that God made promises of blessing and prosperity to Abraham's family. And then last week, we looked at the book of Exodus, and that family has now become a nation of two million people. And we saw God reveal himself 
to Moses and tell Moses, I'm going to take this people, I'm going to deliver them out of slavery, I'm going to deliver them out of Egypt, and I'm going to give them their own land so that they can worship me and honor me as a nation. And so God does that. He delivers them from Egypt. He miraculously parts the Red Sea. And if you read that story, the Israelites walked across that sea on dry land with with piles of water like walls up beside them. And so they left Egypt and they went out. And then in Leviticus, we're going to see that God begins to give them instructions. He begins to, begins to give them guidelines for living. In ex, back in Exodus chapter 20, he gives them the Ten Commandments, which still form the basis for many of the laws and guidelines for moral living that we have even today. And before the book of Exodus closes, God gives them instructions to build what he calls the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a portable place of worship so that as they moved from Egypt into the land that God was going to give them, they would have a place to worship him. So we come to Leviticus here this morning, and if you'll remember in Exodus that God introduced himself to Moses and to the people of Israel, and he told them his name. How many people remember what God said his name was? Okay. You could roll down your window and stick your arm out too, I guess, if you wanted to. I don't know why I'm doing this. I can't see your arms. But anyway, you remember what his name was? His name was I Am, the unchanging one, the self-existent one, the one who always has been and is and always will be. And he told Moses that he was holy. Remember when we saw the word holy in Exodus chapter 3 last week? That was the first time that the word holy had been used in the Bible. Now we come to Leviticus, and what I want you to fix in your minds about Leviticus is that the whole book of Leviticus is about holiness. It's about God's holiness, which is intrinsic. I'll test your vocabulary here this morning. If you know what intrinsic means, that means that it's part of the very nature of God. He is holy. That's who he is. But it's also about our holiness. And holiness is not intrinsic to us. Holiness does not come naturally to us. It is not part of our nature. If I could encourage you to keep one thought in mind this morning, our our big idea, if you will, of what we're going to see in the book of Leviticus, it would be this that only holy people can have a relationship with a holy God. Only holy people can have a relationship with a holy God. And so Leviticus is instructions on how to approach a holy God. Now, if you have your Bible with with you this morning, turn to Leviticus chapter 19. If you don't, and you have one of those song sheets that were handed out on the way in, if you flip to the last page... The scripture that we're going to be looking at is there this morning and some notes for the message and room if you want to take some more notes. So look, go ahead and look on there and you'll find what we're going to be talking about. So we're in Leviticus 19. God's been giving all of these laws, all of these guidelines to Moses that the people need to follow. He's telling them what they can eat and what they can't eat. 
he's telling them how to clean their houses when they've been sick or when they have mold or mildew in their houses. He's telling them how to clean themselves after they've been sick. And you know what's really interesting, guys? There's like some real old school social distancing here in Leviticus because he tells them if you've been sick, you need to go outside the camp until you're well, and then you can come back in. So he's giving all of these laws, and they are incredibly specific. There's all kinds of procedures and details, and wow, Moses has got to be scratching his head here a little bit, wondering why God is telling him all of these things. In Leviticus 19, God tells Moses why this matters. Look at it. Leviticus 19.1 And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. You shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. So how do we approach a holy God? Three things that God tells Moses and in turn tells the people of Israel and I believe speaks to us several thousand years later. Here's the first one. How do we approach a holy God? Number one, separate yourself from the world. Look at verse two again. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now we know that God, the Jehovah, the I am, is holy, right? Do you remember last week? Do you remember last week in Exodus chapter three? The bush was burning. It wasn't burning up. And Moses said, I'm going to turn aside and look. And so he goes and he turns and look, looks, and God speaks to him out of the bush. He says, Moses. And Moses, do you remember what Moses said? Moses said, whoa, <laughs> what's going on? And what did God say to him? He said, Moses, take your, feet, take your shoes off. <laughs> take your feet off. No, don't take your feet off. Take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. Why is it holy? It's holy because I'm here. So God told him that he was holy. Moses didn't really understand fully what that meant probably at that point, but he's beginning to get it now. Israel is getting it now. All of these laws, all of these guidelines are for a reason. And what I want you to understand is that the word holy was used for the first time in Exodus 3. Now in Leviticus, God uses the word holy 160 times in 40 chapters. And the word holy is used over 460 times in the entire Bible. Is God's holiness important? Is understanding that he is holy and that he calls us to be holy, is that important? Yes, it's very important. 460 times in the Bible. Literally, the word holy means pure. It means unstained. It means untainted. God is pure. Also, holiness carries with it the idea of separation. In order to be holy, there must be separation from what is not. 
Now, I was going to do one of my object lessons this morning, but I didn't have time to stand in line at Walmart for 45 minutes before church this morning. I was going to get a white t-shirt. I was going to get one of, you know, those white Fruit of the Loom t-shirts, and I was going to bring it up here, and I was going to jump down off the stage, and I was going to rub it in the dirt. If you took a white t-shirt and you jumped down and you rubbed it in the dirt, what would happen to that white t-shirt? It would be dirty, right? It would get stained. It would be filthy. How could I keep that white t-shirt clean? By keeping it out of the dirt, right? How do we stay pure? How do we stay clean? We separate ourselves from the dirt and the filth of the world. God is holy. That is intrinsic. That is part of his nature. It is who he is. He is separate from all the filth in the world. He does not have to work at being holy. He is holy. You and I, on the other hand, we have to work at it, don't we? We have to work to be holy. We have to strive to separate ourselves from the filth of the world. This is what he calls us to. God says, you want to have a relationship with me? You've got to stay clean. There's a lot of garbage in this world, isn't there? Honk if you know there's a lot of garbage in the world. There's a lot of trash out there. Filth we can see, we can hear, we can read, we can watch. And God says, if you want to approach me, if you want a fellowship with me, you want to have a relationship with me, you got to separate yourself from the world, from the filth of the world. Here's the second thing. You want to approach a holy God, you need to follow his commands. It's in verse 3. Look at it. It's right there on your sheet. Verse 3. Every one of you shall revere his father and mother, and you shall keep my Sabbaths, for I am the Lord your God. If you want to approach God, if you want to have a relationship with the holy God, you need to follow his commands. You need to be obedient. Now, we said in Exodus 20, he gave Israel the Ten Commandments, and now here in Leviticus 19, he refers to two of them, honoring father and mother and following the Sabbath. Now, those are just two that he chose to reference here. Those also happen to be the two longest and most detailed commandments. If you turn to Exodus 20 and you look at the Ten Commands, those are the two longest ones. If you expect or desire to have a relationship with God, you need to be doing the things that please Him. You need to be doing the things that He asks you to do. I have this conversation with people all the time. We get together, they want to talk, they're struggling with things in their lives, which is common, of course, to us as human beings. And often they will say things like, why isn't God blessing me? Why won't God bless me? Why won't He... Why won't he show me that he is there? Why won't he meet my needs? Why won't he help me? Friends, we cannot expect God to bless us if we are not doing the things that he asks us to do. How typical is it of us as human beings to do what we want to do, to spend our money the way we want to spend it, 
to spend our time the way we want to spend it, to go the places we want to go, to say the things we want to say, to watch the things we want to watch, and then ask God to just bless us. God, this is what I want to do. Now you bless me. God tells Israel, that's not how it works. If you want to approach me, a holy God, you need to be obedient to the things that I command. Here's the third thing. If you want to approach a holy God, you separate yourself from the world, you be obedient to his commands, follow his commands, and here's number three. Submit yourself to him alone. Look at, look at that fourth verse again. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal, for I am the Lord your God. Now, it would be really easy to look at that verse and think, hey, this one I got. Sometimes I have a hard time separating myself from the filth of the world. Sometimes I'm not as obedient to God's commands as I should. But this one, I got this one down, man. I don't have any little idols in my house. Well, I bet some of you have a little idol in your pocket. You have one of these? You have one of those in your pocket or in the cup holder in your car? You see, you may not know this, but an idol does not have to be a little statue of a funny-looking character. That's not what an idol is. It could be, I guess. And it is to some people, but it doesn't have to be. You know what the word idol means? The idol means worthless. The word idol means worthless. And it carries with it the idea of insufficiency. So an idol is not just a funny-looking little stone guy or gold guy. An idol is anything that is put in the place of something else but is woefully less than what is truly real. Anything that you put in the place of something valuable that is much less valuable. See, it's, it's insufficient. That's what the word idle means. And our phones are truly that, aren't they? Now, that's just one example. But I've been th I was thinking about that this week. And over the last couple of three months that all this has been happening, 10 weeks now since we've had church, 11 we this is the 11th week that we haven't had church as usual, where we usually do in the high school. And what have we been told? Not just about church, but about community in general and, and our friends and our family members in general. What have we been told? Just stay connected online. And so we've done that. We've texted each other. We've emailed each other. We've FaceTimed each other. We've Zoomed our small groups and meetings and all those things. But answer me this. Is that as valuable? Is that as good? Is that as encouraging? Is that as helpful as being together in person? No, of course not. It's not enough. You can tell us to stay connected online. You can say, tell us to stay connected with our phones, but that is insufficient. And that is what the word idle means. God says... Don't make any gods of cast metal. That's an interesting turn of phrase. 
And when I read it, and maybe when you did too, the first thing I thought of was, whoa, <laughs> we are really into that, aren't we? As people, as human beings, as a society, as a culture here in this country, tell me, are we or are we not really into objects made of metal and plastic and fiberglass and cotton <laughs> and all the other fabrics? We're into that. We like stuff. Our houses are full of it. The word make means to create or to manufacture. Don't create or manufacture things that take your attention away from me. That's what God is saying here. Whatever those things might be, our cars, our homes, our possessions, whatever. Why is this important? What point is it that God is trying to make? Well, he wants Moses and Israel and us to see the contrast between what we learned about God last week and what he is telling us this week in Leviticus. And what is that? What did we learn about the character of God? We learned that God is eternal. We learned that God is unchanging. We learned that God is not created. He never had a beginning. No one manufactured God. And so what is God saying? He's saying, do not take something that you made, that you created, that you manufactured, and replace me with it. Because I'm eternal. I'm unchanging. And everything else is insufficient and will not satisfy. Folks, you and I cannot create, we cannot make, we cannot fabricate anything that is sufficient to worship. And we cannot divide our attention between a holy, eternal God and a pile of junk. We can't do that. You can try it. In fact, if you're like me, you probably have tried it. You may be trying to do it right now. But it won't work. And there will ultimately be no fulfillment. Why? Because we're trying to take a pile of things that don't last and we're trying to replace the spot in our hearts that was made for a real, holy, eternal God. You see, only a holy people can have a relationship with a holy God. So how's that going for you? How's it going? Are you separating yourself from all that's sinful in the world? Are you following his commands? Are you submitting yourself to him alone? Are you? Yes? Great. Now a little follow-up question. Are you doing those things perfectly? Are you perfectly and always and completely separating yourself from the sinful trash of the world? Are you always perfectly obeying his commands? Are you always perfectly submitting himself, submitting yourself to him alone? Hmm? You aren't? Of course you aren't. You can't. And I can't. 
No one can. And this is where we see Jesus Christ in the book of Leviticus. Because the Israelites couldn't meet these standards either. God is giving them all of these really technical, detailed guidelines. And he's telling them to do all of these things. And the people of Israel are thinking, we can't do this. We can't do it all. So what did they do to approach a holy God? What did God tell them to do? Well, if we had time and we wanted to read through a whole bunch more sections of the book of Leviticus, we would find out that God told them to offer sacrifices to pay for their sins. There were all kinds of different sacrifices for different things. But the primary kind of sacrifice that God told them to offer to pay for their sins, some of you know this already, was a lamb. God said, take a lamb. This was a, an agrarian society, an agricultural culture. They all had animals. They said, go to your flock and take a lamb and offer it for your sin. But it was not just any lamb. God said, make sure when you go to your flock and you take the lamb to offer, make sure you offer a spotless lamb. Make sure you offer a lamb that has no blemishes, has no spots, that its wool is perfectly white. Make sure you do not offer a lamb that is injured or sick. I want you to take the best lamb that you have the purest lamb that you have, the most valuable lamb that you have, and I want you to offer that in payment for your sin. They offered sacrifices of lambs. And if you were to go down through the centuries, you would find out that the Israelites offered hundreds of thousands of lambs over and over and over. They sinned, they offered a lamb. They sinned, they offered a lamb. Over and over and over. How come we don't offer lambs? We want to approach a holy God. Why don't we offer lambs to pay for our sin? Well, in the Gospels, we are introduced to the person of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1 and verse 29, John the Baptist is with his disciples and they are walking down the road and John looks ahead and he sees Jesus Christ. And do you know what he says to his disciples? He says to them, Behold, men, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our lamb. And that's how he is seen in the book of Leviticus. Every time you see God say, take a lamb that is pure and spotless and perfect and offer it, we see the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the book of Hebrews tells us that what thousands of lambs could not do, Jesus Christ did once for all. Every time a lamb was offered on that altar, it was a picture of what one day Jesus Christ would do 
for the rest of eternity. Once Jesus offered himself. He is the lamb offered for our sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says this, For our sake, the Father made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was the perfect lamb, and he took our sin so that we could have his righteousness. So, how can we approach a holy God? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Because no matter who we are, and no matter how hard we try, we cannot perfectly follow all of the demands of Scripture. We can't do it. Through Jesus Christ. Do we deserve this? Do I deserve to be able to approach a holy God? No, I'm not holy. I don't perfectly separate myself from the filth of this world. I don't perfectly obey his commands. I don't perfectly submit myself to him alone. But God gives us this opportunity by his grace. Amazing grace that brings our salvation. Amazing grace that removes the chains of sin from my heart so that I can approach a holy God. My friends, through Jesus Christ, for those of us who are Christ followers, through Jesus Christ, we have been set free. For those of you that are here this morning and you do not have that relationship with Christ, you can be set free. Because of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away our sin.